Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, it's a wonderful day to be in your house. And we are so just encouraged to be in your presence. But Lord, we just ask that you would move away any distractions that would keep us from being fully attentive and aware of you. We ask you, oh Lord, to set aside the things that are, that are grabbing our attention, that are competing for our hearts, and frankly, Lord, that are giving us distress. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. It's good to see you all this morning again. Let me see again the hands of everybody who's going to be going to school either this week or next week or just starting school again in the next next few weeks. Raise your hands. Let's give those guys a hand of encouragement again. You know, I had lots of friends who, were, who would always get really excited about going back to school. I mean, they, they had all their stuff together. They were ready. That, that was what they lived for. And then I also had, you know, other friends, and there were people like me who were not so excited. It's not that I was scared about the schoolwork or anything like that, but just when I was growing up, we used to travel a lot as a family. And, and we actually, actually, I would spend a lot of time away at summer camp. So, so I was gone for most of the summer. And if you don't know me, I have a world-class, uh, a world-class case of FOMO. You know what that is? Fear of missing out. And so while all my friends and stuff like that were, were at home doing whatever that is they were doing, I was somewhere else. And I was worried, I was always worried, well, if I come back, will they remember me? Will they be nice? Will they have had experiences that I won't understand and that all of a sudden I'm gonna be just swamped in inside jokes and I'm never gonna get it? I was like, oh, you know, so school's gonna be tough. It's like when I go back to school, it's gonna be like I'm just having to make new friends all over again. Does anybody else have that? Is anybody else who's going to school carrying any anxiety about that? Anything, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes the whole start of the school year is a little bit, Anxious, you know, do you need peace? Are you, are you glad to be starting school or is it making you a little nervous? I mean, is any part of you freaking out? Watching you get your back, backpacks blessed and everything, I was like, oh, okay, I gotta get ready. Wait, I'm not going into school. I've completed like 16th grade. I don't have to go back anymore. But, but I know that it's not always easy. Well, Psalm 4 is a perfect psalm, a perfect song for a moment like this. It's a perfect song for the first day of school. And why? Because it says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. I think it's a perfect psalm, a perfect song for the first day of school because the whole first verse can be summarized in one word. Help! Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. Help! So even though we refer to Psalm 4 as a psalm of peace, we can think of it as a psalm of help. This is just one of those psalms that tells us, you know what? God gets us. We're often tempted to think that God doesn't get us or he doesn't care about us. But this psalm is to me a confirmation that our God actually understands us better than we usually think. Let's get into the psalm a little bit. First of all, this is a psalm written by King David, the poet and warrior king of Israel. And it was written at a time when he was dealing with some really tough stuff. 
David was a soldier and he was often at war. He had to deal with armed rebellion, even from his own son. And he was always dealing with political enemies who questioned his legitimacy and challenged his authority. In this case, when he's writing this Psalm, he was dealing with slander. His enemies and his, his enemies without his kingdom and his rivals within the kingdom were twisting facts. They were telling lies about him. They were trying to undermine his authority, you know, because politics was different back then. <laughs> and so David cried out to the Lord and he said, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies. He's talking to his critics in that line. And you can tell what David needs. There are two words that we need to appreciate here. Relief and distress. He is saying, I am in distress. I am anxious, I am afraid, I am freaking out, I am overwhelmed. And you really get the, you really get the gist of what he's feeling because of the next word. He's praying for relief. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word that he uses here is a very descriptive word. It's the feeling that you get when you're in wide open spaces. Relief to him is being out in the open, it's, out, it's about being out in a pleasant field with the wind blowing, out on the, out on the plains or on a mountaintop where you're not, you're not closed in, you're not drowning, you're not suffocating. It's the opposite. You might think of like claustrophobia. And so what David is saying is, God, I am suffocating. The walls are closing in. I can't breathe. Please get me out of this. So let's take a moment here. I know that there are lots of reasons to be excited about going back to school, but there may be some of you who are anxious and who even dread going back. And right now you just wanna cry out for help. Is it the schoolwork? Is it math, writing, history tests? Is it the schedule? Or is it your people, your peers, your teachers, your coaches? all those people who are involved, your parents, pressure they put on you. What is it that's got you anxious at this point? Let's keep going. So David was in this highly anxious, possibly dangerous and volatile situation. And so David prays. He cries out to the Lord and God answered him by putting a song in his heart, a song in which the Holy Spirit laid out a path some steps for him to follow. And the Lord was telling him, here is how you're going to get the relief that you so desperately crave. First, he says, remember the Lord's track record. He says, you have given me relief. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You see, the Lord had a track record with David. And the first step for David was to remember God's blessings and his protection and that the Lord had been reliable in the past. What he's saying is, remember, David could trust the Lord even in the most dangerous and out of control situations, war, loss of children, the, the assault of his daughter, sin, all of these things that just swamped over David's life. He could trust God in all those things. 
And so I want to ask you, what blessings has the Lord given you? What prayers has God answered for you? And I want to ask that question because we get so wrapped up in the prayers that God answers in some way other than we want them answered. I believe God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he just gives us something better than what we're asking for. And we get disappointed. It's like, no, 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 I wanted this little gift and he gives you this one. You don't realize it at the time, but maybe you realize it years later when your life has been shaped by a challenge that then made you into a better, stronger person. But what I'm asking you to do is to think about the prayers that God has answered, the provisions he has made, the blessings he has bestowed on you. We get so focused on the ones we think he hasn't answered. What are the prayers that God's answered from little to huge, from tiny to titanic? This is a reminder that help from the Lord is also not a one-time thing. I helped you in the past. I'll help you again. We get so, so wrapped up thinking, you know, I prayed to God that one time and he said yes, and I might really need another big favor one day, so I don't want to jinx it now. If I ask him for too much now, he might not answer me later. Or if he answered me once before, he might not answer me again, so why even bother? What God is saying to him here and what he's saying to us is, I was faithful in the past. I'm going to be faithful to you now and in the future. It's not a one and done. You can always cry out to me for help. So remember the Lord's track record. Second, remember your identity and calling. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. In his contemporary version of the Bible, pastor and author Eugene Peterson personalizes this in a way that really reminds us of the importance of our confidence in our identity and our calling. He interprets this verse as this, I got picked by God. He listens the split second I call to him. I love the confidence of that verse. He hears me when I call. Now, how can David know that God's going to hear his prayer, that he's going to take his call, that God's not going to ghost him? It's because he knows without ego or arrogance that he is God's chosen man to be the king of Israel. The God of the universe who knows everything and who knew everything about David chose him and even declared, you are a man after my own heart. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but I'm not David. I'm not righteous. The psalm says that the Lord has set the godly apart for himself, and I'm much more worldly than I am godly, whatever that means. I'm not like David. I'm not like other people. I'm not like my sainted grandmother. I'm lost. I'm guilty. I'm selfish, and I am a mess. Anybody ever feel like that? Well, it might, it might help you to know that David was not perfect either. As a matter of fact, there were times when David acted more like a lustful tyrant than Israel's royal shepherd. And, the, and yet the word of the Lord claims that he is godly, that he is righteous. How can God claim that? Well, we know this, that the reason he's called righteous and godly is not because of anything he did, but what God did. Just as the Lord called David king and set him apart to rule, 
He calls us through Jesus Christ. He has called you son. He has called you daughter, not because of anything you did or earned or anything like that. He did that simply because he loves you. And he set you apart with a plan and a purpose for your life. None of us are righteous, but we are declared righteous because we are betting our lives on Jesus. None of us are godly on our own. We are not worthy, but we are forgiven and we are loved. And so that means that you, that means that I can pray with confidence because I trust that when the Bible tells me that I am God's child, if it is God who put me here, it is God who is going to keep me here. If it's God who called me as his child, it is he who will keep me as his child. Listen to this and understand this. We are godly because we are God's. We belong to God. It's not the other way around. We don't belong to God because we're godly. We are godly because we are God's. And so the father's not gonna ignore our prayers or ghost us when we call on him. David did not become king because he was righteous or because he won a popularity contest or an election. And you are not a child of God because of your merit or anything you think you've accomplished. You are a child of God because Jesus Christ gave his life for you and God has adopted you as his own child. So hold on to your identity and your calling. Next, remember his way. David says, be angry and do not sin. We're gonna get into that one. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Be angry, check. Got that one. That one's easy, but wait a minute. Let's take a look at that word angry. The the word angry in Hebrew, it's fascinating. It actually says to be, to shake, to quake, to tremble. It's the kind of anger that's so intense that you just feel it. You can feel your your, your heart rising, your blood pressure, pressure rising. You begin to shake. And it's the kind of anger that you get either when you receive a personal injury or just when you see injustice, or when you see somebody else getting the short end of the stick, or when you see somebody else wronged or slandered or something like that, whenever you see unfairness or a crime, someone else getting hurt, it's that that anger that makes your blood boil. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's something you see. And one of the things that he says, he does not say just be angry in the sense of go ahead, get angry. He's saying, be angry. There is such a thing as cruelty in the world. We see it, we feel it. There is such a thing as injustice in the world. There is such a thing as manipulation and there is such a thing as abuse. And the proper response, the godly response to that is not denial or numbness or rage, but anger. So here the Bible says, be angry, feel it. Don't try to hide it, don't try to piously manipulate it. No, we're not stoics. Sometimes that anger is exactly the tweak. It's exactly the thing that God is gonna use to move you to make a difference here. So be angry, own it, admit it, but do not sin. Okay, do not sin. What does that mean? It means check yourself. The difference between an appropriate and an inappropriate response to anger is self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. 
Here's the thing. The Lord puts a limit on us. He says, vengeance is my prerogative. You don't have the right and you don't have the authority. You don't know the whole story and you don't know what's best. Vengeance is mine, so do not sin. Now, how can we do that? How can we be righteously angry and not react or overreact? David says that before you lose it and do something that you will regret and that the Lord will not approve, first, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Ooh, what's the first thing we want to do when we get angry? Vent. What does he say? Be quiet, ponder, think about it, wrestle with it. And be quiet so you can do what? So you can listen. Not just to the other people around you, not just the people in your echo chamber, but so that you can listen to the Lord. Yes, listen to people. Listen to people who give you wisdom. But most of all, get into a time and into a place where you can really hear the Lord. Pour out your anger. Vent your pain to God because you know what? He can take it. He can carry that on his shoulders. But listen to him. He can handle it. But you've got to make space to listen to him, not just to vent your anger. And then there's an interesting little thing here. I love this little word right in the middle of the psalm. It's, it's the little word selah. And what's fascinating is that it's not really even a word. It's actually a punctuation mark, and it means pause. How perfect and appropriate that God puts that here. As if to say, before you rage, before you go off half-cocked, before you fly off the handle, before you become desperate, before you lose your religion, hit the pause button. Don't be in such a hurry to charge furiously into the maw of battle. Hit the pause button. And then he says, offer right sacrifices. What does that mean? It means bring it to the Lord. It might be that after pondering, after pausing, after you've vented your rage and listened for the Lord, it might be that God reveals to you that he's telling you to do something. Maybe he's telling you to risk Maybe he's telling you to give up something. Maybe he's telling you to make a sacrifice. Maybe he's telling you to, that you need to turn over something to him. Maybe it's a, it's a toxic relationship or a soul-destructive habit. Now, is this situation showing you something that you need to let go? We're always concerned about what, God's, what people are taking from us, but is God showing you maybe you need to let go of something? Anger. Fear, control, something like that. And what this verse is telling us is turn it over to the Lord. Put it in his hands. And then put your trust in the Lord. Scripture in other places says, wait on the Lord. Boy, that's a loaded thought. On the one hand, it means slow your roll. You've turned it over to the Lord, and now trust him to make a difference. You know, don't hand it over to the Lord one minute and then snatch it back the next. Trust him. But waiting for the Lord also means expecting. 
have the faith to believe that the Lord is going to do something. It may not be what you would have done, but it will be the right thing. Bet your life on him. Expect him to do the right thing, and then be patient as he works his will. That may be the hardest part of that verse. Finally, remember his capacity and sufficiency. You know, so often our distress comes from the terror that we won't have what we need. How many of you all have ever woken up in the middle of the night suffering from that nightmare that you have forgotten that there was a test? And oh, by the way, you showed up in the classroom and you forgot your clothes. (laughs) Every preacher has this dream, except it's not a classroom, it's a pulpit. And I'm standing up here, I can't find my notes, and by the way, uh uh-oh. But there's that fear, that anxiety. It's like, I haven't got what I need. And think about that before school tomorrow. Do I have the right school supplies? Do I have the right clothes? Do I have the right equipment? Do I have the right computer? You know, am I in the right classes? Do I have the right teachers? Here's a little tougher one. Do I have the right friends? Because school's not just about classes. And it's not just the physical stuff. Do I have the confidence I need? Do I have enough courage to deal with the day-to-day situations of school? Am I smart enough? Am I attractive enough? Am I popular enough? And then the panicky thought comes, I don't have what I need. I don't have the right stuff. I am vulnerable. I am naked. I am out here on a limb. You know, I will tell you, everybody's going back to school, kids, everybody. There are adult versions of every single one of those fears. But David's answer is this. Oh, Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Peter Peterson paraphrases it this way. He says, everyone is shouting more, more. You need more, more. But I have God's more than enough. No matter what I lack or what people or the world or disease or violence could possibly take from me, I have more than enough because I have him. You know, as we come to the end of this song, we begin to see the place where the Spirit is leading us. In conclusion, David says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Where is he dwelling? He's not dwelling out on a field. He's not dwelling in a a palace or a fortress. He's dwelling in the presence of the Lord. And that brings him something special. I know that I've been using a lot of Hebrew words this morning, but there is one that I want you to remember, even if you forget the others. The word is shalom or peace. Now, shalom is not just peace in the sense of the absence of violence or hostility. It's a much deeper word. It's the peace of the soul. It's the peace that comes from being content. It's the peace that comes from being intact or not broken or whole without any pieces missing or content or satisfied. You know, it sounds like such a platitude, but David is saying that when I am in distress, 
Whatever I lack or whatever the world takes, my relief, my peace comes from knowing that I have you. Oh Lord, and you are enough. Shalom is knowing that whatever you need, the Lord can give. Whatever we need, the Lord has it. And whatever the world or people or sickness or crime can try to take away from your soul, God gives back. You know, that's, if we look to the New Testament, that's the power of God demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That whatever sin or whatever violence or whatever death can kill, God can give back. He can raise it to new life. And out of the chaos and out of the, out of the void of nothing, he can also create new life. When the world takes a piece of your soul, God gives you peace in your soul by making it whole. But shalom doesn't come from getting what you think you want or you need or you lack. It's not about what you need. It's about whom you are with. Shalom is the peace that comes not in getting from God, but being in the presence of God. This is a rhetorical question, but I mean, how many of you have ever been with someone who's just so wonderful, so calm, so centered, so at peace themselves, that when you are with them, it's like you're just in the eye of the storm? You know people like that. Or maybe you've been in trouble, and there was that one person who you knew you could call, and when they showed up, they finally got there, you knew it was going to be all right. Not because not they had what you needed, but because of who they are, and you knew that nothing else matters. Now it's going to be okay. Peace is not necessarily something that comes from getting the things that we want or getting the things back that we've lost or that have been taken. Those things may turn out to be idols. Real peace comes from realizing that he is everything we need. And I know that that sounds like such a platitude. That's why the first song that we sang, that's why in our call to worship, it was described as the peace that passes understanding. You can't describe it, you can't define it, but you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it. And the closest approximation is, is, a, is that feeling you get when you are with that person that you know can take care of this situation. God fills the gap and heals the wound, but more than that, he takes the void and the chaos and makes new life. Shalom is not about what we have or about what we bring. It's about being with him. It's not about I have enough. It's about he is enough. This song is not, a, is not about the steps. The song is not about the steps, it's about the destination. Ultimately, these are not just steps to get relief from stress or distress. They are steps that lead us into the presence of the Lord. What's stressing you, about, uh, what's stressing you out about tomorrow? Whether it's school or work or something else? We all have those moments or those seasons when you feel overwhelmed, when we feel overwhelmed and we need to cry out to somebody. 
I tell you what, tomorrow, first day of school is going to be awesome. I hope you have an awesome day. I hope you have an awesome week. I hope you have an awesome semester. I hope you have an awesome year. But if there is something stressing you out about tomorrow, whether it's grades or other kids or teachers or coaches or competition, think about this. Through this this psalm, through this song, the Lord is reaching out to you because he wants you to reach out to him. As David reminds us, our greatest peace will come in the power and calm of his presence. You know, there's a great old hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm praying that tomorrow you have a great day, not just because you get the classes you want or the kids are cool or the teachers are nice, but because you remember that no matter what happens or whatever you need or wherever you go, you are not alone. You are in the presence of the Lord and he is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we are gathered here today, we are in your presence, but we are so distracted. We are so set aside. We are so pushed to the edges. And we just need you to to clear all of that out of the way so so that we can be with you, really be attentive to you. We know, oh God, that you have called us to acknowledge what's really going on in our hearts and in our lives. But you've caused us, you've called us to slow down, to remember who we are, remember what you've done for us, and remember that we are your children and deeply loved. Lord, for anybody here who does not know yet the calm and peace of your presence, of being in your presence, Lord, we just pray that they would turn to you right now and say, whatever that is that that guy was talking about, I need that. Pray, O Lord, that you would help them to cry out for help. And for anybody who's hearing that for the first time, if you need to, if you need to pray, if you need to pray with somebody, if you need to cry out to help of the Lord, we have prayer stations on both sides of the stage. We have on either end of this room. And we will have men and women who will be there to help you, to help you stand in the presence of the Lord so that you can feel his presence, his power and his glory. Lord, help us to turn our eyes upon you and to look full into your wonderful face so that we will find that peace that seems so elusive but which we so desperately crave. And Lord, I pray for these kids going to school tomorrow and everybody in this room who's going to work or wherever you may take them. Let them know, Lord, that they are not alone. In Jesus' name.